With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You'll probably remember the headlines from Tokyo. No golds, the worst games for 40 years. Everything fell apart. After a year's delay, the 2020 Olympics in 2021 were not the Olympics we, or British rowing, had come to expect. At the Paralympics, Britain dominated again, on the water, with golds for the mixed four and Lawrence Whiteley and Lauren Rowles. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And this is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the podcast speaking to the women and men behind the scenes of sport in the UK. So in this episode, who better to speak to than the person who ran that Paralympic programme at British Rowing? and is now leading the whole GB rowing team. Hello, it's uh, Louise Kingsley and I'm the uh, Director of Performance with British Rowing and responsible for the Olympic and Paralympic performances. It was tough, Tokyo. Is it something that you've managed to put behind you as a team and now looking forward? You're absolutely right. It was uh, it was very tough. Um, I sort of saw it from two perspectives. I was on the the sideline watching the Olympic performances along with many other people um, and right in the thick of it delivering the Paralympic performances. Both certainly left left their scars I think is probably the way to put it. It was it was a, the most challenging environment I've ever had to uh, ever had to work in. Um, the responsibility not only for the performances but also the the welfare of your team in a really tough working environment the whole being in a a hotel environment for multiple weeks before we even got on the airplane living in our little bubble of our team and it's a the Paralympic team was a pretty small team so very intense and then you know the getting your team there safely the whole living in the Covid world in the Tokyo village was unlike any other games experience and a million miles from anything we'd you know been through before and then just the sheer it was sheer relief of both getting performances on the water but actually more importantly getting the whole team back to the UK safe was there anything Louise in those few months in Tokyo where you thought 
actually, I'd rather this didn't had ha- or hadn't had happened. The fact that it was delayed, that it did happen, because it, it felt like the timing, certainly from an Olympic point of view, was just that it'd run out of steam effectively. I think from a staff perspective, I think we quite often questioned, should we be doing this? But as soon as you spoke to the athletes, the hunger to be able to go and perform, even if it was performing without friends and family there, without spectators there. Now, this is something that you know the athletes had worked for for five years. That's a it's a long time to go. And uh, I still think, you know, look back and actually for the vast majority of athletes, they got on the start line. They were able to do their bid on the water. Some it worked well. Some it didn't quite come off as they had hoped. But at least they got out there and they had a chance to put a stake in the ground and say, this is the end of my Tokyo cycle. We spend a lot of time at work, Louise. So I think it's important that we enjoy our work. Did you enjoy any of the experience? Of course. It, it, it wasn't, wasn't all bad. Um, it was intense. It probably challenged some of our, our relationships, you know, how you look out for each other. When you can't just escape and, and normally in a in a game zone, you just you go out for a walk or you just leave the village and go and find a coffee somewhere. You couldn't do any of that. But I think I was very lucky with the, the team that we had for the Paralympic Games. It was a staff team. We'd worked together for a long period of time. We knew each other very well. So actually, we were able to be there for each other, but enjoy some of the, the oddities that were going around in a rather weird way. But, but there was an element of enjoyment in there. Absolutely. And going into the Paralympics after the Olympic performance of British rowing, you were in quite, as an organisation, the eye of the storm. Was that criticism all justified? I clearly, I, I wasn't right in the thick of the Olympic programme. I saw it from the sidelines. Yeah. Are, are there some key lessons that we've learned from Tokyo on the Olympic side? Yes, absolutely. Um, are we trying to uh, apply some of those now? Yes. Likewise, though, did we learn stuff from the Paralympics? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it, it was a massive learning experience for everyone involved. I've, I personally found the watching the Olympics really tough because I knew the people there. I knew the majority of people there were out there giving it their giving it their best and it wasn't their day. Some would say, Louise, that taking over now is the perfect time to do it. It's only upwards from here. Um, is that the way you look at it? Oh, look, I, I've, as we commented before, I've, I've, I've been around rowing for a long time. Um, so I've seen it in its different guises with different leadership styles, different athlete cohorts coming through, um, sort of the changing nature of athletes um, along the way. And I think it's a really exciting time. I mean, it's, it's far from easy. And the short cycle makes it particularly challenging. Um, I think I'd, I'd probably agree with you if I was sitting here and it was the start of a normal four-year cycle and you say, wow, okay, yeah, we've l- learned all this from the past. We've got a year to get ourselves sorted, a year to build it up. Then we can think about qualification and then, boof, go and deliver in Paris. Uh, the challenge is when we haven't got that luxury. What we've done in six months, you know, normally we would have taken a year and a half, two years to do. So it's good. It's exciting. Yes, I think it is a great time to be leading the programme, um, but there's definitely an element of reality that 
there's a lot that needed to evolve and we haven't really got the time i think we'll see the real benefit in the la cycle that's not to say we're holding back on paris because absolutely we've got to be there delivering in paris but la is pretty close i think it's interesting that you say about the cycles because it's something that as a sports journalist all the athletes, coaches, you guys always talk to us about these Olympic and Paralympic cycles. And it's not really something I've really thought about before, maybe as, as a journalist or a, or a watcher. But it's funny, you said the five years was hard going into Tokyo and actually now two and a half years into Paris is, is going to be just as hard as well and so different. But there has to be, I suppose, moving forward, does there have to be a bit more flexibility in the way that you run an organization that you can because heaven forbid we ha have another pandemic or, or whatever uh, or even worse that you have to be able to be a bit more flexible training athletes and developing programs take take time and a, an athlete doesn't just walk into a national training center the finished the finished article you need you need time to support an athlete's development you know whether that's technical physical psychological it, being able to step up from the world of development into the world of Olympic and Paralympic performance is tough. It takes time and it and an athlete needs time in that environment to be able to develop the, the best of themselves. And I suppose what we've got very used to doing with four year cycles is in a games year prepping the the group that are going to be coming to step in for those that retire in the summer of a game so you've always got this sort of conveyor belt of freshness new athletes coming through and so year one has always been this again an opportunity to to introduce a few more athletes into the program counter for retirements that are potentially coming up because you don't always know who's going to retire until later in year one um, and, and, and build up in a way that takes, gives the athletes the best opportunity to step up and into the, the senior programs. You can't shortcut athlete development. And so we did a, a fantastic project in the year five, which was called our Project Paris, where we were trying to create a year one training environment for a group of athletes that couldn't be centralized because our year five Olympic athletes were centralized to try and help them step in. And you know, there's no doubt that has helped us with the start of this short cycle. But it's, yeah, we have, we have to be more agile, but you can't shortcut performance. It takes time. So some people, Louise, when they step up to the big job, know what the challenges are. It might be a culture change that the organisation needs, for example. What on day one was in your inbox when you were appointed to the big job? If I'm if I'm completely honest, it, it was the fact that we had a reduced budget and we had to make some significant staff changes. So as much as it wasn't my preferred first job in my inbox, we actually had to run a pretty comprehensive staff restructure process um, in part to to trim to fit with budgets, but also in part to address some of the challenges that we had in Tokyo and make sure that we had a, a fit for purpose staffing structure that supported performance delivery. 
We're talking to Louise Kingsley, the Performance Director of British Rowing on Great British Bosses. And Louise, what we often talk about on this podcast is kind of leadership and the, the management uh, role of it as well. How how do you see yourself as a as a as a PD? Is it a head teacher with the the coaches working as the teachers and then the, the athletes, the students, or how do you see it? And uh, no, I'm definitely I'm definitely not the head teacher. Um, okay, I I definitely have an approach of we're all in this together. No, none of us that work in the world of high performance sport um, do it for the do it for the salary, do it for the title. We we do it because we're we're passionate about, in this case, rowing and enabling. I guess what I'm passionate about is enabling the athletes and the staff here to be the very best they can possibly be. And that requires us to be collaborative. Um, can collaboration go too far where you get to the point where you can't make decisions? Yes, it can. So I'm I tend to sit on the I like collaborating, but I'm also very prepared to take the tough decisions and say, okay, we've listened to all this bit, bang, this is this is the direction we're going in. And most importantly, I always try to evidence why why we're doing something. Don't always get it right, but you know, there's something around listening, but then providing clarity of our direction of travel. And has it helped that you were the leader in the Paralympic programme? to now take over both roles? I think not only the leader in the Paralympic programme, but the fact that I led the pathway, the Olympic pathway side, um, meant that I've been pretty close to a lot of what's gone on. So being able to really try to understand in my own mind what, what I could do that could make a change and make a difference. Um, now, we're all our own individual people, and I'm me, I'm, I'm, I'm not... The last PD. I'm not the PD before that, so I'm I'm me, and I'll I'll lead things in the in the way I see fit. Um, but there's no doubt I want to take people with me. This is not a job or a role that you can do in isolation on your own. You you have to have a strong team around you. And a bit like when we're when we're pulling um, putting crews together, you know, if you if you're looking at a a fast quad or a fast eight. Now you can have the individuals in there that are all good, but those crews that win the gold medals, they have a, they have a magic element to them. Now they're, they're able to produce something that's greater than the sum of the parts. So I'm not the world's you know, most fantastic leader, but what I think I can do is pull together a team where we can deliver something which is greater than the sum of the parts. You know, if I can be developing leaders behind me that can take over at some point and do an even better job, Fantastic. Louise, I stalked you on LinkedIn this morning. <laughs> it says you've been involved with rowing for 24 years and 11 months. What was the attraction of the sport? What was the entry point for you? So I, I started rowing when I was uh, a sixth former at school. It was a sixth form option. Um, always involved in sport, as you'll notice as you've been stalking me, I did a, uh, um, a sports degree. So sport has always been a, a, a key part of my life. And uh, I was in a girls' school and there was a boys' school next door and the coaches came across and said, uh, oh, does anyone want to have a go at rowing? And I thought, hmm, I quite fancy that. I haven't done that before. Um, yeah, the beginning of the end, that was where it all started. Um, what I like about it is the, 
there's an individual responsibility within a team performance that is different from your other team sports. Yeah, it's the fact that for the, the whole of the event from start to finish, so when you go on the start line to the finish line, every single member of your crew is giving their absolute 100% commitment for the entire duration. And it's how you work together as that, the, the unison of power, unison of psychology, unison of technical, it's something that you don't find in many other places. So it's a bit of a bug. And did you time it right in terms of having a career in sport? Because, of course, 25 years ago coincided with National Lottery. And as we know, the complete culture change that happened in sport in this country. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was a, a PE teacher and uh, so I, I taught and coached rowing every other hour of uh, that, that existed. And okay, I, I was... I was I was pretty fortunate in that luck came on my side when I was coaching in the junior Great Britain world. I ended up coaching a, a fantastic pair that won Great Britain's first uh, junior bronze medal. So we'd never had a junior women's crew on a podium until that that crew. And I guess that just it just lit a bit of a fire in my belly of actually there's something a bit special about the high performance side of what we do. So I spent a few years working with junior crews and having uh, uh, a lot of success at uh, international level. And then uh, I saw uh, it was an advert that came on the back of lottery funding with our NGB, so Amateur Rowing Association as it was at that time. And it was around uh, a new talent coach for women. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. I have no idea whether I'd be cut out of this or not, but the role essentially was building a talent stream to support the Olympic program. And it was one of the, there was a, a men's role and a women's role, and they were one of the first lottery funded positions. And I think I had in my mind, well, I could go and do that for a couple of years. And if I don't like it, I'll just go back to teaching. Okay, I never went back to teaching. And I think we're all grateful for that, Louise. You are the first female PD of British rowing. Since how funding. How important is that? To be honest, it's not something that I tend to I tend to think about very much. I, I think I just think of myself as a, a rower, a coach, a performance director. The fact that I'm female, probably other people think more about it than I do. Um, I'm just I'm just me. Because I've always thought that British rowing was a very equal sport. We, we've had success in both the male and, and female events, uh, in both uh, Olympic and, and Paralympic. And I've always thought it's a really equal sport. But there also needs to be more diversity moving forward, doesn't it? Yes, there does. And, I, you know, I think in terms of leadership of British rowing, there's a pretty strong track record of female leaders within, within our sport. And that, you know, that's really positive. But when we look at into the world of coaching, and particularly high performance coaching, you know, we, we do not have enough female high performance coaches. And that's that's certainly one of the my sort of more medium term um, ambitions is to find ways to encourage and support more female coaches to to want to do high performance, be successful, find it a, 
um, an environment that they want to thrive in. We've always had a real affection, I think, in this country for rowing. I don't know whether that comes from the boat race, potentially. I mean, I'm of a vintage where I remember Holmes and Redgrave and Los Angeles 84. But it must thrill you. You've got a picture in your office of, of Catherine Granger and Anna Watkins from 2012 behind you. It must thrill you that the likes of Catherine Granger, Steve Redgrave, Matt Pince and James Cracknell are these national treasures, if you like, if I can use that phrase. These are people that are instantly recognisable. And that shows what a, a huge affection, going back to what I originally said, that the country has for the sport. You're absolutely right. And you know, I think there's a, there's a real opportunity for us to you know, engage with some of our successful alumni and make them feel a bit more part of what we're doing now. I think we went through a period where it was a bit of sort of the old and the, the, old and the new, but actually we need to em embrace those that have gone before us and uh, you know, make them feel part of rowing as it is now. We've, we've had to change. Youngsters are, are different now to when these guys were youngsters. And they'll be the first to acknowledge it. And it was great, you know, Matthew was down here a couple of weeks ago and it was really good to sit and chat to him just about you know, some of the stuff that perhaps he, he perceived but isn't necessarily quite the reality. Some of the, some of the old stuff we used to do and how actually how do we need to just tweak it evolve it it's not about changing everything it's just about keeping the evolution going so we remain on the front foot you know get back to that world leading position because millions of people tune into tv and radio coverage when it comes to olympic games paralympic games so i guess when it's people like matthew pince and catherine granger they're talking on the television about the program they need in a way to have the up-to-date education absolutely you know and they're, they're all very welcome to drop in for a coffee and come and chat to the athletes and you know hear the the, the real world that we're living in now because i think covid has changed a lot of things the how we how we engage with athlete voice in a in a constructive positive way is something you know, i think a lot of sports are, are grappling with um you know we, we are as well we just elected our new athlete reps so again it's another quite exciting phase as we're going through and looking at how do we work effectively together for the common good of the program a couple of other quick questions to finish uh, louise uh, archery it's something that you're uh, exceptionally good at i understand <laughs> Um, I, I think I'd play that one down uh, down a little bit. Um, certainly, I had uh, quite a few years where, actually, as a family, we uh, it was one of our um, uh, pastimes. But yeah, I think I think we we're one of the the few groups where actually, in one year, my husband, my daughter, and myself were all selected to uh, to shoot for Surrey in various county championships. But there is some embarrassing photographs somewhere. But but it's good to have something to be able to switch off from with with the intensity that your job now is. Unfortunately, I don't really have that much time to pick up a, a bow and arrow anymore. But I do have four Labradors that uh, mean that I get out and about. And on the British Rome website, your ideal dinner guests, Serena Williams, Pierre de Corbatin and your dad. Now, Pierre de Corbatin, the founder of the modern Olympics, the man who inspired a modern pentathlon, of course. I bet you're glad there's no horses involved in your sport, having watched some of those scenes <laughs> in much. Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, definitely prefer 
something that's made of carbon that doesn't have a life of its own. <laughs> why, why Serena, Pierre, and your father? I think I think Serena is just a fantastic female you know, role role model. She sits a bit in the same vein as your Catherine's. You know, someone there that has just led the way, trailblaze, is a pretty unique individual. Um, my father, uh, I'm talking, my father died when I was pretty young, um, but he was a, a Polish refugee and a Spitfire pilot at the end of the Second World War. And there are so many questions I would love to uh, chat to him about, both his experience in Poland, the, how he actually ended up getting from Poland to the to the UK, and then just you know being a being a pilot in that environment. That's just yeah, million and one questions there. Absolutely. Louise Kingsley, Performance Director of British Rowing, thank you so much for talking to great British bosses today. You're welcome. It's been really enjoyable. Thanks very much. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.